Hey there, this is Red Zone Redemption, a fantasy football podcast, part of the Roto Heat Network. Make sure you follow us on your preferred podcasting network. We should be on there. And this is your host, FF Shane B. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks. Welcome to Red Zone Redemption. I'm your host, Shane Barrett. You can find me on Twitter at FFShaneB. And this is our first episode using Riverside. So if you guys enjoy it, let me know because I'm tweaking things as best I can. Joining me today at 1.30 in the afternoon is the one and only Popes, also known as Jeremy. I'm going to butcher his last name, Populars. That's pretty close. Awesome. And you just heard the wonderful Jeremy. You can find him on Twitter, I believe, at PopesFFH. Correct. Hey, you didn't even put that in the show sheet. So, Jeremy, how you doing tonight? I'm doing all right, you know, working through a basement renovation, you know, but I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about some rookies and some stuff like that. Talk some fancy football. Yeah, me too. We, uh, we've been interacting for a while now, it feels like, and this is our first show together, so this should be fun. Yeah. It is a first guy, at least that I recollect. So. Yeah, same. <laughs> so, Jeremy already kind of hinted at it. We are going to be talking 2023 rookie class sleepers because if you guys don't follow Jeremy on Twitter, you're doing yourself a disservice, especially if you play Dynasty Fantasy Football. Jeremy does threads on everybody. Like, he does players on the Gardner's little kid down the street that's going to be an NFL superstar in five years. And he's amazing at them. Gives you really digestible information in a really easy format. I love reading through his threads. So if you want information on a prospect, Jeremy's got it. So you guys need to follow him. And relying on him as the expert for this episode for those 23 sleepers. Before we do that, though, Jeremy, I may be throwing you a curveball. But we're going to do one fantasy tip that can save your season. And we'll we'll stick to the relative draft season that we're kind of approaching and i'll start so you can have time to think of one my tip to save your fantasy season or save your fantasy team is stick to your guns when it comes to your rookie drafts what i mean by that is don't fall into the the trap of hyped players because they got a phenomenal landing spot if they were your wide receiver seven and they landed in some perfect spot that should not make them jump to wide receiver one. I'm painfully thinking of Clyde Edwards-Alaire, though I did like CEH and still do. A lot of people probably had him RB5, RB6, if I remember correctly, maybe even RB7 in the year he was drafted. And then he went to the Chiefs, and everyone was like, and bumped him up all the way to RB1 over Jonathan Taylor. That's all I'm warning you again. And then the other thing is, like, kind of on the flip side of this, is if you get a player who you fall in love with and you get a value on him, take him. You've done the work. You've done the evaluation. You know what you believe the talent is? Take him. And that is my tip to save you in rookie draft season. Jeremy, what you got? Yeah, I think what I would say is anticipate. Don't be afraid to trade the picks. That would be one of mine. I feel like we always overhype some of these rookies and it kind of piggybacks off of what you're saying. But not all of these rookies are going to hit. You know, I've yep. been dancing around with trying to figure out a way to get some historical data out there that seems like a good version of it. You know, like I have some stuff out there and 
but blah, 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 blah. But I'm just trying to figure out like the best way to, to broadcast the data. But like most rookie picks don't hit, especially once you leave the first round. So if there's a guy that you don't necessarily fall in love with, like don't overdraft somebody just because you have that pick. Obviously, you can't trade that pick. Obviously, you're going to take somebody. But if you can and you're late in the draft and it's like you don't have anybody that you absolutely love as far as like the rookies go and you think, oh, okay, we're getting into that potential boomer bust area. See what you can get on the open market in these rookie drafts. A lot of times people fall for wanting to get, you know, these rookies because we fall in love with them. We think they're all going to hit. They're all going to be these top 12 assets, stuff like that. And I mean, I have one for just running backs. Like we've had over a hundred running backs in the last four years and only 19 of them have produced a top 36 finish. So that tells you everything kind of right there as far as where they're going to get drafted. And most of these guys are the bigger names that you took a little bit earlier in drafts, but there's even those guys that have fallen off. Like you had mentioned, CEH is one of those guys that had a top 36, but has fallen off. And then you have other guys, you know, Trey Sermon was a guy who drove up draft boards oh and God. was a first round pick in like one quarterback leagues. And he just hasn't done anything. Dude, I took so, him so early in the second round in multiple drafts. And it's just like, that was a wasted pick. Yeah, I had a one quarterback home league and I traded one eight and one nine for Stefan Diggs. And the guy took Sermon and Michael Carter. So oh, that's one that I always go back to. Just because, like, yeah, on the surface, you know, I got a lot of flack right away from everybody in my league. Like, you gave up two first-round picks for a 27-year-old wide receiver, and it's like, okay. But did you win well, the league? That's the real. Now, I didn't. No, I've come close. I just, <laughs> every year something goes on. But I'm always there, you know. I'm one of the yeah. top three teams regularly. It's just like, it's. But those two players ultimately didn't do anything for that guy. He lost all of his fantasy points, basically, from what he would have got from Stefan Diggs, which was a lot in the last two seasons. So that's just where I'm at. Just because on the surface, it seems like it might not be the best deal. It always could potentially be that if it helps your team. So. Cool. I like it. All right. Let's jump into these rookie sleepers. I compiled a list based off of the rankings on rotoheat.com where I obviously work for, and just pick some names based on kind of hype that I've seen or haven't seen and highlighted some guys that I want to talk about, and then we may throw some more to to Jeremy. I'm going to save our favorite, I think, for last, and you probably know who that is, but we're going to start with Puka Nassau. I think that's how you say that. It's Nick. Nakua? Nakua, okay. I think. Puka Nakua. So, well... First off, what's kind of your just general evaluation of Puka? Yeah, I like Puka a little bit more probably than the consensus does. I currently have him. Shoot, I should have that pulled up. But either way, before I'll find that while I'm talking, the overall consensus isn't super in on Puka Nakua, but I think that Puka shows an ability to be a dual threat at the NFL level. I kind of showed it here at BYU. He had one of the highest rushing yards out of any of the wide receiver group. So obviously that's not like the end all and do all, but like he had over 300 yards, if I remember correctly, at BYU this season. Has a bigger frame. He does really well in pass blockings. His actual career yards per route run is up near the top. The pro football focus, it's actually the best in this class. Just even ahead of Smith, the Jigba, Marvin Mims, etc. He also had one of the highest, if not, I believe was also the highest. Yep. 
in, in this past season with 3.53 yards per route run, which is a big metric. Like you could say, oh, well, what does that mean? It's a big metric that a lot of people enjoy to use as far as predicting like NFL success to an extent, at least when they're in the NFL, just because you're looking at it as in these guys are getting targeted more on their routes. It's how that yards per route run really works because now obviously it can work where if they have like a huge reception and then just don't run a ton of routes, it obviously helps them that way too. But the way that I like to use it is, hey, these guys are getting targeted on these routes ran, which is an important part of obviously fantasy football. If they're getting the ball, then they're going to produce points for you. So for me, I do think that Puka Nakua obviously is still kind of sitting in that sleeper type of categories down in that second to third round and rookie draft still. And I think that depending on that landing spot, he could kind of drive up. It's really going to come down to draft capital. And obviously the big thing with him is going to be injuries. He hasn't been able to totally stay healthy at BYU and at Washington, but he is a bigger framed receiver who does really well up above the rim. He does well as far as body control along the sidelines and he fights for the ball as well at the catch point. So he's pretty decent in that area. So it's something that it's probably a long shot, but he's a guy that I like. I have comped him, not necessarily comped him to, but I think he could have like a Debo Samuel, maybe a Robert Woods, maybe like a, what we thought LaVisha Chenault kind of would have, you know, where he kind of has that ability to be effective in the run game as well as the pass game. And that's always a plus when we're looking at that. Any type of versatility going into the NFL is a plus, and it helps us as fantasy managers as well. So, 100%. I like that a lot. Where would you be comfortable drafting him in a rookie draft right now? So I have him, now this is super flex rankings that I have over at FTM Fantasy is at 29. So that would be depending on your league format. That's either the third round, obviously, or the, well, it's the third round either way, right? It's 10 or 12. Yeah. So you'd still be in the third round, probably somewhere mid third round. He might jump a couple guys depending on landing spots. And I have a lot of running backs ahead of him. And a lot of those guys could fall. Obviously, if running backs don't get the first, you know, two days of draft capital tends to be a big indicator that they're not going to have a ton of fantasy success, at least that we could rely on. So some of these running backs may fall past him, and I'd rather take that. So late second, I wouldn't hate if you're like one year league and you know he's not going to be there in the third. I wouldn't hate going after him at the late second. Cool. I like it. What would you say your biggest concern is with him? I'd say it's health and as far as just like being able to stay on the field and then maybe a little bit, he does not necessarily like run the cleanest of routes. He's a little bit more of a, like a raw athlete. He does. Okay. It's not terrible. Like by any means, I'm not overly concerned, but he's not a guy that I am like super in on as far as like a great route runner. He's also not very elusive after the catch. He only had six missed forced missed tackles forced last <laughs> season from pro football focus. So okay. he's not overly elusive in like the yak department. So he's kind of like a get you what's there, but he does pretty well at what getting you what's there, depending on ball placement. There's a really good clip out there against, I think it was Boise state. And he like makes this incense, like three sixty spinning catch in the end zone along the sidelines and gets his both feet down. Actually, nice. you only need one in college, but got both yeah. down. It was pretty intense. It's one of my favorite clips of his. So it's on one of my Twitter threads for him. So if you do are in our listening and head on over there, you'll see it. Awesome. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next prospect. I am going to go. I like this guy a lot. And I'm just 
I'm personally confused about kind of where his ranking has fallen, and maybe you can fill in that blank for me, but it's Rakeem Jarrett, wide receiver out of mm-hmm. Maryland. If I'm remembering correctly, he's a senior. He's, from what I remember and what I've seen, he's a decent route runner, and I think he's extremely underrated so far where I'm hoping he gets good draft capital enough to be like, okay, I'm willing to take a shot on him maybe earlier than I would think. But talk to me about how you feel about Rakeem Jarrett and kind of what you've seen so far. So Rakeem Jarrett last season was kind of a disappointment, we would probably say. But with Maryland, they kind of rolled out this wide receiver rotation. Both Jared and Dante Demas were two guys that were really high in 2021 as far as like, okay, these guys look legit. There's a lot of production. They look very good and could be potentially some of the top 10 receivers in this draft class coming into this draft. However, both of them kind of fell off. Demas had an injury. Jared just, there wasn't a ton of production from the passing offense here, as well as they added a couple other guys via the transfer portal. So like Maryland kind of went to this weird rotation And Jared didn't see as many opportunities. But like you said, he's a pretty good route runner. He understands leverage really well. He can get defenders into sticky situations and turn them around and create separation that way. He did run a 4-4-40 at 4-4-5-40 at the combine. So like that was a little bit of a quicker 40, a little bit faster than I probably expected him to be. Yeah. He just wasn't overly fast looking on tape necessarily. And that could have just been just Maryland's offense and the way it was, but like he only had 400 yards in 2022. So like it was kind of a big down year for Rakeem Jared. So like, I think he's just fallen off because it was just such a bad season as far as like his production went. He's kind of a slot guy. He played a ton of the slot this past season. Almost 95% of his snaps came from the slot. And as far as a contested catch guy goes, really bad. I only caught one of seven targets. So, like, a lot of the stuff, and, like, he had a 1.6 yards per route run. So, like, it was a really bad season for Rakeem Jared. Now, obviously, in 2021, it was a lot better. So, the question begs to be is, are we going to get 2022 Rakeem Jared, or are we getting 2021 Rakeem Jared? So, I think there's a lot of that boom and bust. And I think draft capital is going to be huge here. If he gets drafted a little higher than we are expecting, and at this point he seems like a real late kind of like fifth, sixth round receiver, which is wild to me just because of how high we thought he was going to be. I kind of thought he was going to be more where Jaden Reed has kind of become as far as like once the draft cycle came around and he's not there at the moment as far as I've seen from the NFL. So it seems like Rakeem Jared's a guy that we could get a really good deal on. I think like, I mean, I have him ranked at 38. So that's pretty deep as far as your drafts are going in rookie drafts. And that's really going to, he could easily come up. Again, there's a lot of running backs and stuff, same way with Nakua, like ahead of him. And the draft capital could easily help because I do. I like Rakeem Jarrett a lot. It's just purely, I don't think the NFL does that much. Yeah. At least at the moment. So until he really proves to be a fantasy type of asset, I just don't see, he's very much going to probably be a slot guy at the NFL level. And outside of becoming a Monroe St. Brown, like how much value is he really going to have? So for me, I'm going to take some of these other guys ahead of him at the moment. But if you are able to acquire him in your rookie draft, I think there is a good chance that he is really, he really would be in that like sleeper category. I think for me, I was excited to see that you had him on this list, to be honest. yeah, No, I love Rakeem Jarrett. And so 
like doing those little I think it's PFN draft simulators, like getting him in the fifth, sixth round, and it's just like why? Like I think the talent, at least from what I've seen, is way higher than that capital. So I guess I'm going off your expertise here, Popes, and saying that the drop in production has to be what's caused him to fall. And so that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Like, I mean, on film, he doesn't overly look like, like he's not like, oh, wow, there's Rakeem Jared. But like yeah. also, Maryland was very unexciting. And Tallulah, uh, he took it like a, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Tallulah is, it sounds better to me. I don't know. Look, I watched the kid <laughs> play in name. high school. It's a tough name. All right. Give me a break. Okay. Gosh. But yeah, it just, it wasn't great than overall offense, especially the passing game. So I'm assuming that's what it is, at least at this moment, and we'll have to see. I'm fine taking I mean, the third round, you're talking about guys barely even hit in rookie drafts, so yeah. I'm perfectly fine taking him there, as long as the NFL gives me some type of draft capital. You know, he goes undrafted, I might let well, him just fall. But, like, yeah. if he gets somewhere in that fifth or sixth round, I would consider it. I'm not going to expect a ton from it, but he has that sleeping potential to become something pretty big. Cool. Okay. All right. Next one on the list, Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver out of Ole Miss. I'll tell you guys what I know, and then we're going to let Popes do his thing. Big body wide receiver, if I remember correctly, out of Ole Miss. I think the dude's got decent athleticism. And I saw, I believe, a thread a couple days ago where someone was like, why are we sleeping on Jonathan Mingo? Like, he's got all the intangibles and halfway decent production what's missing and so i'm gonna let popes fill in the blanks like where do you see mingo falling and what do you like in the draft and where do you think he has fantasy value so with jonathan mingo i feel like he kind of fell off a little bit not to say fell off but like he had nothing overly exciting in the first three years at old mess he had some pretty like Nice highlight plays here and there, you know, creating after the catch and having pretty sure hands. If you get him in space, he kind of has the ability to make some guys miss, whether that's with physicality or some slight elusiveness. I mean, this past season, he got a little bit better. I mean, he had 800 yards, was definitely his best season at the collegiate level, scored the most touchdowns, most yards, most receptions, most games played. So I feel like with Mingo was the issue was, is he just never had an exciting season you know he had like 1700 total yards in four years at old Miss, and he's just kind of a very effective but not exciting wide receiver so i think that for the long time until he kind of came out had a pretty decent showing here in the last couple weeks as far as pro days and stuff like that like he has kind of driven up some boards as far as like just because we're looking at it like oh there's a chance here and this wide receiver group i'll call them outside of like jsn and like addison downs flowers and johnston and maybe tillman i would toss in there for my own personal like is really just kind of like a big bunch of just could be something yeah and he's one of those few guys that has a little bit more size to him so i think that we're kind of leaning on that he's a little bit better as far as a yak producer a little bit of a pretty sure-handed, and if you get him in space, there could be something. And the NFL is kind of saying, hey, we kind of really like him, and he's starting to drive up some of those mock draft boards, which is obviously, again, draft capital comes down to a lot of it, and he's kind of just pushing his way up there. 
I don't know if he's going to be overly exciting for fantasy. I think he's going to be one of those guys that comes in and is pretty good NFL football player, but I don't know yeah. if he gets us like those high end fantasy points, but he's a guy that's going to be worth drafted because I think he does enough right as far as the whole game goes, being able to block, kind of create and do some different things that other guys aren't. I think he can have that ability to see a little bit more opportunity, but I don't think he's going to be a huge fantasy producer in my personal opinion. Cool. No, I'm cool with that. And I was looking at his combine results of four four six forty at six two. I feel like that's real nice. Thirty nine and a half inch vertical, ten foot, nine inch broad jump, like and then twenty two reps on the bench press. Like all of that seems like pretty good. Yeah, and that's um, what really put him on the map. Yeah. People saw that and let's see you know, like Bryce Ford Wheaton was a guy that nobody ever talked about really. Um, Not overly exciting at West Virginia, comes in, runs like a four three eight, and everybody's like, Oh crap at like six foot four. So like like they're, you know, we see the combine. We always kind of overhype some of these guys, and they kind of push up boards, and they get overdrafted by the NFL and then by us. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, he's going to be worth taking a shot on, especially if he gets good draft capital, lands in a good spot. I would take that shot. He's probably going to be a third or fourth round rookie pick. So it's like super flex. Definitely. Is there any ideal landing spot for him in the NFL that you would be like, oh, okay? maybe bump him up to a third round definitely for you? You know, I think there's a spot. I think if he went a little bit later, he kind of reminds me a little bit. I mean, he's not totally like, he's a little bit probably faster according to the 40 times. But like, I feel like he could be a little bit of like a version of Keenan Allen. So like if you landed with the Chargers, could be interesting. He might not have a ton of year one potential, but he reminds me a little bit of like Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer at the NFL level. Okay. So, like, I could see maybe fitting into that offense pretty nicely. Maybe Minnesota, just because there's, like, a pure class of opportunity there in Minnesota. Somewhere like that, maybe. Like, if he gets a clear path to some good opportunity, maybe I'd bump him up a little bit. But probably not. Like, I personally still don't even have him in my top 50. He was, like, right on that fringe there, but, like... I was going to say, just for clarification, you mentioned 38 for Rakeem, I think, or I can't remember which one, and then 54 Mingo. Is that overall, like, every position included, or is that wide receivers only? I don't even know. If oh, that's it, So it's, yeah, if you head over to AfghanFantasy.com, I have a super flex big board. So that's, like, quarterbacks, running backs. Like, that's okay, top everybody. 50 players as far as fantasy super flex drafts go. So, like I said, Mingo's outside the top 50 for me. He's just a guy that I just don't see a ton of fantasy value in. I think he's going to get drafted. I think that he'll be drafted by some people in their rookie drafts. I just personally, he's not a guy that I'm overly excited about. No, that's cool. And thanks for that clarification. No for the listeners and for me. (laughs) All right, next one. And then we'll do our favorite. Maybe throw a couple more in there too. Chris Rodriguez Jr. out of Kentucky. I just personally remember him like carving up Auburn in a game and maybe even multiple games. And so I think this guy can be a. I'm trying to think, like, he can just be an offensive weapon. I think he can be really versatile in how he's used from what I remember at Kentucky. And I'm just kind of surprised that I'm not seeing more hype on him because of that because i feel like fantasy football players in general and the fantasy community will typically fall in love with someone like that 
and I'm just not seeing it for Chris Rodriguez. So is that am I totally misremembering or is there some room for Chris Rodriguez? Yeah, so for me with Chris Rodriguez, he profiles for me as like a two down type of running back. Okay. He ran a lot faster than I thought he was going to at his pro day. He had ran, I have it here, four five two, which is pretty quick. He's six foot two seventeen. But I think the big thing with Rodriguez is he was he missed time this year. I believe it was a suspension for something. I don't remember exactly what. But in only eight games, he had over nine hundred yards rushing on yeah. five point two per tenth. He has six point two as a career average at Kentucky in his five seasons. So for me, I think Rodriguez is kind of a guy that is really under the radar. I remember watching him in 2021 when I was watching Wondell Robinson tape for last year's draft. And like Rodriguez just popped off the screen. Like yep. He is he has a quick first step. He's a very bursty runner. Yeah, he doesn't have like that high top end speed, has the four five. And but he is just so effective in between the tackles. And even once he hits the perimeter, he's got decent vision. He's a tackle breaking machine to an extent, not maybe as high as some of these other guys in this class that we'll, we can talk about. But like he did have 63 last year in eight games, over 600 yards after contact, 3.84 yards per contact per attempt. Like, I mean, he is a very good, powerful running back. So the issue really comes down is he just isn't used a ton in the past game. Yeah. I mean, he had only five receptions last year for 41 yards. I saw that. So, like, <laughs> there's not not saying he can't do it. I mean, we had that big knock against Kenneth Walker. He came in and had some ability. And at the NFL level, a lot of the running backs aren't asked to do anything crazy in the past game. As long as you can catch a football on, like, a swing route or a flat route or a little curl underneath, you're usually all right. So, yeah. as long as he can do that, which I think he could probably do, he should be okay to find a carving a role there. It's really going to come down to draft capital for Rodriguez. Feels like the NFL doesn't like him as much, but I do love him as a sleeper potential. I do have him in my top 50. He's right at 50. I'll probably move him up a little bit. There's some other guys I have ahead of him that I'm like in and out on. Really depends where he gets drafted. If he doesn't go drafted, it's obviously going to be hard to keep him there. Yeah. But I do think, and I like I said, in 2021, when I was watching the tape, I mean, the 1,300-yard season at Kentucky, I was watching him, and I'm like, this kid's going to be, like, really good. Like, at the beginning of the year, I had him pretty high in my running back rankings, and then, obviously, he just kind of fell because of the performances of other guys this past season. And he just, I mean, still looked good in his limited games. So I'm not, I'm definitely not out on Rodriguez. I just really want to see where that draft capital comes in for him. Just because I do think he's a early down back. So unless he's getting drafted into a position like landing spot or draft capital where he could have that role, then maybe I would like it a little bit more. You know, like say he lands with the Bills, a team that has Damian Harris there now, and like they could use him on first and second down. They get him late, potentially a better shot or the Chargers, you know, the, I know, the right Bengals, I get, you know. If he landed, well, really, if any running back with any kind of power lands in Miami, they're, I feel like, going to get a boost. Because right now it feels like the guys that Miami has are, like, they're not three down backs. They've mm-hmm. got a bunch of different, like, collaboration and conglomerations of skill sets that will allow them to run the ball. But, like, as a Tua fan and watching Miami a lot last year, like, they just could not run the ball. And so if you give them that aspect to their offense with someone who can, like, just go get you three 
hard, gritty, nasty yards like a Chris Rodriguez. I think that person, while it may like limit the ceiling of their fantasy scoring potential, like they're gonna have a decent shot. I think at finding some relativity. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know if he, I mean, he had like a pretty even split as far as like gap to zone. So I think he could be okay in a gap or a zone type scheme that Miami runs. But it's not necessarily like, I don't know. Miami just seems like I get why you'd want to bump them a little bit, but like I wouldn't go crazy bumping them just because I feel like they're going to run that like San Francisco rotation. And, like, he's not good enough to beat out, like, I'm not saying he's not good enough, but he doesn't seem good enough to where he's going to, like, take away from Mostert and Jeff Wilson. Yeah, It'd be really limited touches in that type of scheme. Maybe if one of those guys went down because both have kind of had injury issues in the Mm -hmm. past, you could see a little bit more relevance. And I get it. He's completely different than them. But, yeah, they're both kind of up there at age. So, like, there's a path ultimately. But if he's drafted super late, like guys this year that I'm really concerned about, you know, like Damian Pierce, Tyler Algier, like those guys that got drafted later that had really good rookie seasons. Like, yeah, it's great. And I even said it last year at the beginning of the year. Tyler Algier is like a great one year rental as a rookie, as sad as it sounds. But like, I love the landing spot. Great landing spot. But his draft capital and what he is could easily be replaced. So I'm not saying that Atlanta's going to do that because he did have a good year and they could easily still use him. But it seems like those guys are the guys that get replaced first. And Chris Rodriguez would be kind of in that situation in Miami. And next year, there's like some really good running backs coming out. And there's more top-end talent than this year's, I would say. So I would be worried a little bit there. Yeah, Like I'd bump them to like a fourth or third round rookie pick maybe. But like I'm not going to get crazy with Rodriguez in Miami. You know what I mean? But I could see him getting a little bit of a bump. Yeah. No, and that kind of goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning don't fall too much in love with that landing spot. Like, if he goes to Miami in the fifth round or later, like, I think I agree with you. Like, third round would probably be an appropriate place for you to take him, but not any earlier. If he goes somewhere like Miami, like, two rounds two through four, then I'm entertaining the idea a little bit more. But I don't foresee that happening with Rodriguez. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, you know, we've seen guys get overdrafted before. By the NFL, so. All right. You ready for our favorite person? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say he's like my favorite in the draft class. He's a favorite of this group, though. Yeah. I'll say that. I just, our favorite sleeper is what I meant. <laughs> and I am biased because he is from my alma mater. It's Dwayne McBride out of UAB. I'm not even going to, like, Pope's just take it away. Like, you've done a couple threads, I think, on McBride. I think you're a pretty big fan of him. Tell us why. Yeah, so, like, Dwayne McBride's a guy I was, like, eh, on at first, but you start to watch it a little bit. At times, he doesn't look as fast as he is, but he's another one of those bigger, bursty, mistackle-forcing machines. As far as UAB went, he had just last season alone, he had, oops, that's in a script. Sorry, I was going to say that's a lot of mistackles. 73 mistackles last season, over 1,000 yards after contact. He actually led the class in yards after contact by one yard over B. John Robinson. So, but his yards per contact per touch was extremely high at 4.6. That also did lead the class. So he's kind of one of those guys that just is really good at ripping off runs when he gets hit 
And we like to see that at the NFL level. We've seen guys come in and have good production like that. I mean, Pierce was a guy that was pretty good after contact and absorbing those hits. And McBride's kind of similar in that aspect. But again, he's a guy that had 45 runs over 10 plus yards, according to Pro Football Focus. So again, one of those was that was the, one of the higher portions of the class. He's just a guy that isn't necessarily going to blow the top off the defense type of speed, but he has enough speed and power and contact balance to kind of just shred defenses in like a David Montgomery style where you're kind of getting those 10, 5, 15 yard runs and just chunking and eating away at the defense, you know, or like a Frank Gore used to be that way. Like you're not necessarily blowing the doors off the or defense, but you're just powerful, effective, getting running behind your pads and kind of like just eating the defense away slowly but surely. And I think that, again, it's a class that's full of interestingly sized type of running backs. He did come in a little lighter than expected at 209 pounds at the combine, but he is still 5'10", so it's a pretty good mark. But a lot of these guys are a little bit on that under, underneath that 220 that we really kind of, that 215, 220 feels like kind of the, the zone yeah, where we like to see as far as the top performers go like historically i think the nfl is changing a little bit but to put his ability to break tackles and create missed tackles forced his per carry for his career is 0.36 which is fourth amongst the last four classes of 100 rookies that i have charted so that goes into like the it doesn't have like everybody it's kind of more of the guys that were drafted post-draft in like like a couple of years past because I didn't go as deep in those types of years, but the last two years were pretty deep as far as who's charted in here. And honestly, this class is one of the better ones as far as that goes. Gibson was the highest, but that was skewed hardly because of the lack of touches at Memphis. But B. John Robinson was one, Rathay Williams was two, Dwayne McBride was three after Antonio Gibson. So, and then obviously Bijan is in this class, McBride was at three. Roshan Johnson's at four. Kenny Mack is at five. So of the top, of the top, you know, five or six, it's pretty much this class. Other guys around there, Javante Williams, Ken Walker, Trey Sermon was there. So it's a little but <laughs> Jerron Ely was up there too. Another guy that didn't really get a chance, but Travis Etienne, Tajay Spears is up here near the top. So some pretty big names. Ramondre Stevenson's up in this area. So you're talking about guys that have had some success. It's pretty evenly split as far as the guys that have moved on to the NFL of producing fantasy and not producing for fantasy. So, but then when you kind of secondarily sort it to guys who had good draft capital, we're talking about Antonio Gibson leads the chart, you know, Javante Williams, productive, Ken Walker, good draft capital, productive, Travis Etienne, productive to an extent, good draft capital. Quit and then Ramondre Stevenson. <laughs> everybody always no one ever loves me for Travis Etienne I just I'm not in I don't think he's as good I mean he's good I just don't think NFL's told us differently that he's going to be a workhorse type of running back and have these top 12 seasons and it's not going to happen I think he's more of a, a good RB2 DeAndre Swift style you know a, a continual RB2 that's not bad for fantasy it's just he's not going to be a top 12 guy in my opinion I don't think that they tried to supplant him with like Jermichael Hasty and Snoop Connor and James Robinson last year. That should tell you everything you need to know about Travis Etienne. So, Whatever. and maybe Dwayne McBride's going to join his backfield and they'll be fairs. So, That'd never know. I'm saying they're going to take somebody, I think, and it's going to it's going to annoy a lot of people. But and they'll probably not like me for that. But I'm just saying, I think that they're going to add a big power back 
of some sort sometime in this draft. And I think it's going to kind of eat away a little bit, Travis Etienne, especially in the red zone. So that's why I'm not in on him. That makes sense. Sorry for the I can, Etienne tangent. I can give you credit for that then. Two, I have so many questions after what you what all you just said. My mind is just going. First one is, does McBride have any potential for being a three down back? Does he have that receiving upside? Again, that's another guy that we haven't seen it at like the collegiate level a ton. I mean, in his entire career, he has five catches. So it's even more limited than Chris Rodriguez, who at least had five last season. So um, is there potential? Probably. It's hard because we haven't seen enough of it to really give like any type of a true gauge. You know, like I could sit here and say, yeah, he could do it, but like I would just be saying it just to say it because yeah. I had no idea. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the only people who would know would be people who are drafting him, who maybe talk to the coaches. Maybe they've seen it a little bit more in practice. But from what the game seems to be and kind of what they've shown it statistically, what we've seen, it's not that he's getting any or any targets or really any routes run. So I'd say probably not. He seems probably to be profiling as like a one and a first and second down type of back at the NFL level. All right, next question that I have for you is you were listing off multiple people in this mm-hmm. class that are up there with Bijan and Dwayne McBride. I want to say it was missed tackles force, but I can't remember which stat it was. Yeah, it's missed tackles force per carry. So it's like breaking it down over their career. All right, Jeremy, so you just listed off a bunch of guys from this class that are in the top 10, 15, 20 for more missed force tackles per carry, including B. John Robinson, including Dwayne McBride, Roshan Johnson, Tajay Spears, all those guys. What I've heard more recently than not is that the 2023 class is not as good as how we kind of have hyped it up for the last two or three years even. And I personally disagree with that. I don't know about you, but my biggest thing is like, I think this class is going to be just as good as advertised, if not better. And so my question to you is, what are your thoughts on it? Where do you see this class ultimately when it comes to comparing it with the previous two or three classes and then going for you? Yeah, so I think that it's getting a little bit of a disrespect in retrospect. I think that, like, I Dynasty J could put something out there on Twitter that, he was like, the 23 is much better than the 2022 class. So then I went through and I put the last four, which potentially 2024 in order and how I would put them. And I had 2020 as the best class in recent history. Then 24, I think actually potentially could end up being better than the 23 class. So the 2023 class for me would be second to of the last four years. And obviously then 21 and 22 was kind of my order where I had it. A lot of people didn't necessarily agree with that. We got some stuff on Twitter as far as going back and forth on how good 2022 was. But again, 2022, we only have one year so far, and we don't know necessarily how good those guys were really going to continue to be. And a lot of the guys that have fantasy production were those guys that we had mentioned a little earlier, like Tyler Algier or Damian Pierce, who could see and already have kind of been supplemented in a way in their offenses. Singletary's in Houston, so we're going to see possibly Damian Pierce not even see much more production than what he had. And he wasn't overly productive for fantasy. He had a good couple of weeks. And then after that, he was kind of hard to start. So for me, I still think 2023 is going to be one of the second to third best 
when we start from 2020 moving forward. So I'm still in on it as a whole. The running back class probably is a little bit more disappointing than we thought, like just when you started to break them down. They weren't necessarily as good as we thought. A lot of names, a lot of mid-level talents, but we didn't really ever get anybody to make that jump to get closer to, say, B. John Robinson level. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I don't know, I think maybe the fall from grace from like a Kayshawn Boutte has probably put a damper on the wide receiver class at least. Yeah, the wide receivers are definitely worse. I'll give you that. (laughs) The 23 class is much worse than 2022. Yeah, but I just, I still think that there's going to be a couple handfuls of guys that are fantasy relevant, at least for one season, if not more. And uh, there may be some guys that end up surprising us. So I just wanted to get that question out there because I felt like, I don't know, you, I know you study these prospects more than a lot of people and know that you're I consider you an expert um on the prospects so wanted to kind of get your thoughts on just the class in general all right I have three prospects for our next round but before we jump into those guys who are a bit higher ranked but I'm not hearing a ton of hype on and maybe we'll we'll find out why there anyone else listed in the kind of sleeper category I've got Trey Palmer, Tucker Craft, Dante Demas, Sam Laporta, Evan Hull, Dontavian Wicks, Zach Kuntz, and Andre Iasivas, I think is how you say that. Any of those guys that you're like, Shane, I want to talk about this guy because I think he's going to be a steal in your rookie drafts. I'd probably say out of that list, like I wouldn't talk a ton about them. I think that there could be some value in either of those players. Trey Palmer's probably a guy, again, it's a wide receiver class that's a little bit weaker. Palmer's a good field stretcher, can kind of hit and run routes within all three levels of the field, too. He kind of probably gets pigeonholed a little bit as far as a field stretcher because of just his speed and everything. But Palmer was an LSU transfer and moved over to Nebraska, so he was highly recruited. as not like super high, but like, I mean, he was an LSU. They put out some yeah. pretty good wide receivers in the past, so... Yeah, he moved to Nebraska, but it was more to just be able to get some opportunity and just a better offense. So he kind of, I wouldn't say better offense, but more involved in that offense. So he's a guy that could be a little bit sneaky. He's a guy that I'd kind of watch for, see where the draft capital comes in. And then Evan Hall is another one. He's a guy that I wasn't super high on, but you start to put on some Northwestern tape. He's pretty good. He's another one of those guys that gets you those good chunk plays here and there. So those will probably be two. I don't want to, I wouldn't dive too deep into them, but they're two guys that keep an eye on. I mean, depending on draft capital, they could be guys that I would probably take some shots on mid to late my rookie drafts. Gotcha. Evan Hull was the one at the combine that every single rep he ran it to the end zone. Yeah. Yep. I kind of like that. (laughs) It's, you know, that's a plus. (laughs) All right, cool. So let's move into kind of our next category. And I've only got three guys here. One of them, I think, is one of your favorite prospects. Uh, you kind of touted him earlier in the episode, so we'll save him for last. I'm going to go with the one that I'm not as familiar with, and that's Rasheed Rice out of SMU. Um, I've seen some hype for this guy. We've got him ranked relatively higher than I kind of expected in Roto Heat, where we have him at 20th overall, wide receiver 8. And I just, like, for someone who's ranked kind of that high... I don't feel like I've seen a ton of propaganda, if you will, about him. So what are your thoughts on Rasheed Rice? And is he someone you're in on? Is he someone you're out on? 
So Rishi Rice is a guy that I am not in on. I actually have him at 28 overall in my Superflex big board. So he was a guy I thought I'd like more. Highly productive at SMU, especially this past season, but did come in a little bit shorter. He was listed higher than he or taller than what he came in at. He was six foot 200, ran a four, five, one, which is pretty expected. He does not look fast on tape. Doesn't do much after the catch. He did miss, force some missed tackles, but he's more kind of going to like run you over more so than like make you miss with a sidestep or any elusivity. He did have a pretty good yards per route run at 3.05 this past season, but he was kind of SMU's offense, had a ton of targets, had 96 receptions, which was actually one of the higher portions of this grouping and did have 10 touchdowns. So the numbers were there. For me, it just kind of was like, once you turn the tape on, you kind of realize that he just was kind of better than everybody else as far as his conference and the competition he was facing, he really struggles to track the ball over his shoulder. Something that bothers me so much. Like, like anytime he has to find the ball over his shoulder, it's like guaranteed to be like a drop or he's just not even going to get his hands on it. That was something I noticed a lot that really kind of turned me off as well as he just, he does make some plays downfield. He tracks the ball really well. If he can look at the football, do you know what I mean? So if it's a deep ball that he can, get his head turned around and find it. He does well. He does have decent hands, but again, it's kind of like one of those situations where it depends on the situation and the body control and placement of where he could make these types of catches, which he does have decent body control and decent hands. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say they're terrible. It's just when he's forced to track the ball over his shoulder, it seems like he kind of struggles to find it a little bit. As a contested catch guy, he was 48.5% according to Pro Football Focus. He did see... 33 which was the highest of the guys that i have charted so like he one of two things poor ball placement can't create separation and for me it's can't create separation with him he just doesn't necessarily get a ton of separation against these guys he does well if he has the scheming of getting open but he's not twitchy he's not like exciting in routes he does he can run them they're not terrible and they're kind of limited because of the style of offense he was playing. So he hasn't seen a ton of exposure to different routes. So it's kind of just like, and she feels like say, someone shared his reception perception route tree today yeah. and said they were completely out on him. It was kind of bad, but that, yeah, the style of offense being part of that makes more sense. But yeah, and he kind of was in that spread style offense. Some figures he like Tillman and Hyatt came from in Tennessee it was similar to that. So he just wasn't asked to do a lot as far as different routes go. And like I said, he, that I saw that same graphic and it, it, he wins on like those routes where you can kind of cut across guys and get a step or two. Cause he's kind of like a strider to an extent and to get a little bit and like the scheme itself creates separation. That's where he wins is because he's open and he has good enough hands to catch it when he's fairly open. It just in certain situations, he just wasn't overly exciting to me. And I think that. Yeah, there could be potential, but it's a guy I'm passing up at his, what's going to be probably his draft capital of rookie drafts. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, let's move on to number two. It is Marvin Mims, wide receiver out of Oklahoma. For reference, we have him ranked 13th overall and wide receiver six on rotoheat.com. So where do you have him ranked? And... Or I will, we'll just stick to this. Are you in or are you out on him? Yeah, I mean, I have him a wide receiver eight as far as like wide receivers go. Uh, and then he is at uh, 23 on my big board. So like 
a little bit ahead of Rasheed Rice, a guy that kind of struggles with some drops at times, a little bit more of those concentration type of drops. Some are pretty bad, again, from Mims that I've seen in games. So he's very explosive, very versatile, can line up at the backfield and the slot out wide. A little bit undersized at five foot 11, 184, but 2.95 in his yards per route run for his career, which is a pretty good number. Anytime it's up above like two and a half, it's usually a pretty, pretty good sign, in my opinion, as far as when we're looking at that stat. Again, doesn't create a ton of missed tackles, only had seven last season, 440 yards after the catch. A lot of that came from just because he's able to get it on the move, kind of gets like some of those wheel routes or. Like they used to run a play at Oklahoma, kind of was like he would kind of line up in the backfield and almost run the wheel route like a linebacker or like a running back and then just catch it along the sidelines and be able to run, you know, for 20 yards because he was paired up on a linebacker and just outran him. So he's versatile. He's interesting. He was a guy that I had super high a couple of years ago. I really liked him. He just was an explosive athlete that can stretch the field. So I think there's some potential there. The NFL is really starting to like him too. He's gaining some steam in the NFL draft. So for me, I, He's a guy that I think could move up a little bit. Okay. It's just tough with, like I said, there's a grouping and he's like right after that grouping of the Jigba, Addison, Downs, Johnston, Flowers. And then I have Tillman and Hyatt ahead of him. So like, it's hard to jump those guys in my personal opinion. I think those guys are just a touch better. So I don't know if he'll actually get above eight, but I think he's going to be pretty firmly at that eight to seven range, maybe six, depending on draft capital. What? Did you or what have you noticed about his route running? Is that a way that he can create separation or is it just speed? No, he's a decent route runner. I wouldn't say it's like he's not, you know, Calvin Ridley or anything like that, but he's good enough and he'll probably be able to clean it up at the NFL level. So he'll probably get a little bit better. All right. I saved the best for last. At least I think. Oh, my shoulder just tried to fall off. Um, that's not good we don't want that happening oh, that really hurt Cedric Tillman I have looked at your threads and your Twitter feed and I think you are very high on Cedric Tillman if I remember correctly and if I just heard you right you may have him ranked above Jalen Hyatt so A is that true and B if yes why I do have him ahead of him uh, he's one spot uh, and obviously draft capital could spread a little bit but it's more me just being down on Jalen Hyatt to be honest I think Jalen Hyatt was a benefactor of Tillman's injury this past season he did deal with a high ankle sprain so Tillman was kind of not really getting there we've seen it with wide receivers like Michael Thomas struggled with it and other guys in the past have struggled with that high ankle sprain I mean no matter your position that's a tough injury that you can't really play through very well think about like just walking or running around as us you know, we're not an athlete trying to outrun another guy who's four, who can run four fours. And, yeah. you know, if I twist my ankle doing some gardening, I'm, I'm like out for two weeks. So let alone imagine, you know, having that type of pain and trying to play an NFL football game or a college football game. So I get it. But Tillman kind of struggled with that this past season. But he's one of those guys, again, he has six foot three, two thirteen, true X type size. And I think his route tree was a little bit more diverse. And I just think he's a little bit better as far as a complete wide receiver goes than Jalen Hyatt. To me, Hyatt's, Hyatt's one of those guys that leaned on his speed and overall yeah. athleticism and was just so wide open and just dominated in that spread style offense because the, there was so much space 
and that's what he could do and that's what he's good at and uh, i mean he's one of the best at it in this class but we've seen guys like that in the past come in and not be overly fantasy productive because they almost ultimately take that role at the nfl level and not every offense can sit back there and wait you know two or three seconds to load it up or nor do they have a quarterback not named you know patrick mahomes josh allen or Justin Herbert or, you know, maybe Jalen Hurts. I don't know. So there's probably some other ones out there that can really chuck the ball that far and make him effective on a regularity. You know, those deep type, deep type passers kind of become boomer busts. You know, we've seen it with Dave Davis, Mike Williams, like those field stretching roles, you know, Henry Ruggs when he was in the league, like other guys like that. The only one that really has kind of cemented himself and been regularity would be like Jalen Waddell, maybe Chris Olave this past season like those guys jamar chase yeah but chase also plays a lot more at the three levels like i feel like hyatt's not going to necessarily win in the intermediate to short areas unless he's running like crossers or deep ends like stuff like that he might be okay but for me tillman just is more versatile he attacks the football he does really well at that like coming back to the ball especially on curls and stuff like that he drives defenders off. He wins against press, and he did it against some of the better teams. He did it against Georgia often in 2021 and 2022. He did it against Alabama. Like, he's done it against high-level competition and good quarterbacks that he's able to kind of drive off and win in, like, curl routes or just in general as far as his route tree goes. Also, I think he has really good hands, something that's a little bit better as far as not necessarily Hyatt's are bad, but like just a little bit better. And his yards per route run is actually less than Jalen Hyatt's. It's at 2.1. So it's not crazy. But again, he kind of battled this injury this past season and did play through it and didn't see a lot of targets. Well, and with Hyatt, because he was more of a deep threat, wouldn't that in theory increase his yards per route run? Yeah. And as well, he just didn't, I think when we look at it collegiately, I wouldn't, I don't have the actual route ran number in front of me but like he probably didn't have as many ran overall because like just last season in 2021 it was Cedric Tillman and that was the Tennessee offense you know and then Tillman kind of got injured and then all of a sudden Hyatt appeared you know like Hyatt just came out of nowhere so the years before that Hyatt didn't run as many Tillman's been a little bit more involved in the offense throughout the career at Tennessee so that's part of it but I think Tillman just gives him a little bit of everything as far as an NFL receiver goes. I think he could actually come in and be a true X receiver, which is far and few between in this class. So I want to see where it comes in because there's like two two ways that this could go. He could become like Michael Thomas and be like a really good, effective kind of, not necessarily overly fast, but does well in the possession and kind of driving guys off, running good slants, good releases, yeah. stuff like that. And he could be really good. Or he's going to be like Nico Collins and like, hardly do we ever hear of him you know what i mean so like there's two ways tillman can go and i really want to see how the draft goes and kind of where he lands and that could affect tillman a little bit but i really like tillman we do on the ftm dynasty podcast we do we've been doing like prospect series episodes like little 30 minute short ones my co-host adam pfeiffer from ftn as well really likes tillman as well like we're really in on centric tillman i think that he's a guy that just could have like it's just underrated because he had a bad year, and that always happens. You know, I mean, I, whether they're already in the NFL or collegiately, if you have a bad season, it seems like fantasy's like, yeah, no, we're done. And then those guys are usually, yeah, those are usually guys that kind of bounce back. So I'm kind of counting on that. We'll see. But I do like him a lot comparatively in a class that's not the strongest. So I think that's what helps him. Because I will say that he is 
borderline could become a bust in this situation, but I don't think so. I really like Cedric Tillman as becoming one of the better wide receivers of this class. I don't know if he's a top 12 upside type of receiver, but a consistent wide receiver too for fantasy seems well within his range. Well, and I feel like, I can't remember who tweeted out, but someone said, like, what is the deepest position in the NFL right now? I feel like wide receivers got to be it. If not, it's top two or three, like the deepest position when it comes to talent across the board. It just feels like there's consistently guys that are coming in each year that produce at a fantasy-relevant level. And even to the point where, like, you mentioned wide receiver two, wide receiver three levels, like, because this talent grouping is so close with so many good guys, like, I feel like even wide receiver threes are kind of okay at this point for your lineups. Yeah, I don't have it pulled. I don't have it in front of me, but I've been working on something as far as like breaking that down and kind of figuring out, you know, what are your numbers and what does it take to finish as a wide receiver two, wide receiver three? But like your wide receiver threes are like 10, 12 points and like your running back threes are like eight points. So like... That tells you a lot there. Now those are PPR, so obviously sometimes the wide receivers have those extra bonuses, but like wide receiver position is very deep. And I know I've done in the past too, I've kind of taken a look at far as like how many people have repeated in the top 12 for fantasy for PPR. And like consistently the running backs don't change a ton. It's only like three or four of them kind of change in and out. And the rest of the eight can tend to be like, you know, your Barclays, McCaffrey, Taylor, like those are kind of the guys who stay there and then you get a random person who has a good season and pops in. The wide receivers, on the other hand, they tend to kind of be a little bit more of an even split. It kind of seems like it was Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Chase, like Diggs. And then like after that, like it kind of has had a rotation. You know, we see Devontae Smith get in there this year or we've seen other guys, they just kind of rotate in and out. And that's because like you said, it's such a deep position and they kind of can have guys who kind of explode and become more fantasy relevant for us in the offenses, depending on whether it's opportunity or just the offense gets better. Cool. Love it. All right, Jeremy. Well, thanks for hopping on with me this afternoon. That will wrap up our episode. And you were on point. You were exactly what I was hoping for this episode, using your expertise. So before we wrap up, where can people find you and plug anything that you want to plug? Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate the kind words, you know, on Twitter, we don't always get kind words. So getting it on a podcast is always a plus, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Pope's F H that's P O P E S F H. And any of my written work is over at FTNFantasy.com. And you can find, I do have a dynasty podcast. It's just FTN dynasty podcast that we have been kind of pushing out daily as far as like some rookie prospects. So if you're really looking to kind of get into some of these guys, we have some wide receivers and running backs up. We're trying to make it through quarterbacks and tight ends, but it's tough. You know, there's a lot of good people in this class and it's, it's tough to record every day, you know, when we have life going on. So, but yeah, we're trying to get them out. So check it out. There's a good portion of those, some good wide receiver episodes. And then, like I said, we're running through the running max now. So awesome. Thanks again, man, for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. Couldn't do this without you guys. Technically I could, but it wouldn't be as validating or fun if I got zero listens. So appreciate you guys when you do listen. This is Red Zone Redemption. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at FRZ Redemption and sign up for Polly's Playoff. And you can go to polysplayoff.com for year four. Thank you, Rick Butts. 
And again, this is Red Zone Redemption, where we help you make the moves to save your fantasy season. Cheers.